And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. This is Talk of the Devils, the Manchester United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm Ian Irving and coming up today we'll look back on a genuinely encouraging first half performance at Villa Park and then the stark reminder of the team's frailties that saw the villains erase that two-goal lead inside 15 minutes in the second half. We'll also learn a bit more about Anthony Alanga, who of course started that match and talk about what we can expect in the rearranged fixture at Brentford on Wednesday night. But time to welcome our friends. Hello Laurie Whitwell. Hello, Ian Irving. Hello, Andy Mitten. Hello, Ian Irving. How are we, gentlemen? Laurie, you enjoyed your trip to Villa Park, didn't you? Once you sobered up from the wedding on Friday. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I kept it fairly on a on a level for the wedding to, because I thought, you know, Villa Park under the floodlights, something's going to crack off. So I need to be clear-minded, fully focused. Um, it was nice actually being there. You know, first time um, since 2015 that United fans were there. Andy did the piece, didn't he? Head of the game. Um, and it's you know been an atmospheric stadium for a long time for United fans. Sat next to our good friend Greg Evans, who obviously we had on the podcast last week. And at moments, the angle that you're at at the press box is it's a great view, and you've got the flares going off in the away fans, you know, clambering over each other. Even the Villa fans that are still engaged with the game, you know, at two 0 you've got that real edge to it. I kind of just turned to Greg and said, "This is a great job, isn't it? This like you know, I do pinch myself <laughs> sometimes at the privilege of being able to watch live football." and being amongst this kind of cauldron of an atmosphere. And then, yeah, in terms of the game, I thought it was a really encouraging first half. Um, the control that United had, the way that they were moving as a team cohesively, you know, in and out of possession, um, it looked really uh, encouraging. Um, and then second half, they, they just didn't really respond to Steven Gerrard's changes quick enough, I don't think. You know, he, he made the subs, three subs. Okay, one of them was enforced for an injury at half-time with Courtney House coming on. Um, but you know United didn't make any subs. Ralph Rangnick didn't make any subs until um, Villa had scored their goal, and it was just that split second too late to, to react. You know he spoke afterwards about thinking of changing to a back three system, but then had doubts about that because um, would it invite Aston Villa on? And, and United's best moments had been pressing high. You know for the second goal certainly that was where the goal came from with Fred and, and Diogo Dallo um, doing well there to win the ball back from Villa, and that was basically you know Ranrick goal from the number one page of the playbook, wasn't it? You know, um, get the ball in the back of the net four seconds after winning it back. Um, but I think that that indecision, I can understand it. You know, managers aren't, you know, crystal clear thinkers every single moment of the game. But in that kind of febrile atmosphere where it's, you know, really close to being, you know, one way or the other, a 2-1 win is, is such a dramatically different result than a 2-2 draw after being 2-0 up that I think... It's a, it's a sharp learning curve for him where he has to react quickly um, to the different ebbs and flows in games. Yeah, Laurie, you mentioned it at the start of that answer, uh, the, the article that you wrote, Andy, about Manchester United fans being back at Villa Park for the first time in a long time, actually, given uh, a range of sort of issues, uh, including obviously the lockdowns that we've had in the, the last couple of years. Um, 
you said about the fond memories that United have got, a happy hunting ground. And actually, for long periods of that game, it looked like we were going to add to it on Saturday. Uh, and then, yeah, they just lost their way again, didn't they? Villa have not beaten United in a league game at Villa Park since that you don't win anything with kids match in 1995. Mm. And after 70 minutes, I'm thinking not only have United won and doing well, um, but but played well. So on Friday before the game, I asked Ralph Rangnick which areas specifically was he looking to improve? And the gist of his answer was, this is about getting results first and foremost. We've got to get results. Everything else is secondary. And United were getting a result and playing well, especially in the first 30 minutes. I thought Bruno was back on it, which was good to see. Anthony Alanga in his first proper start, if you like, um, was, was really good. I thought there were reasons... Um, for positivity all over the pitch. Mason Greenwood was decent as well. David De Gea pulled off a couple of good saves. The away end was flying. Got my mates messaging me, sending me pictures. Um, we're in the pub. Should be here. Yeah, nice one. Cheers for that. Um, and the world was a wonderful place. And you're enjoying your match. And you're sort of forgetting that Manchester City are 400 points clear because you just <laughs> follow Manchester United and... You're more bothered about your own team than anything else. And United had been so unconvincing against Villa in the Cup, but was so convincing at Aston Villa. So the world was great. And then, as Laurie said, Stephen Gerrard, who I thought spoke very well after the game, and I think he's a good young manager, uh, made smarter substitutions. And it was just alarming once again to see United's midfield, the spaces around um, Nemanja Matic being exploited, and United's substitutions came too late, by which time the damage was done once again. So, yeah, great that United scored early. You made that point, Ian, in a tweet. Maybe that's a trend of life under Ralph Rangnick, but two goals conceded felt like a defeat, and I feel 48 hours after it, I feel frustrated, I feel disappointed, and I just keep looking at the league table and thinking this is where Manchester United deserve to be. And it's just a really underwhelming and disappointing season because I didn't expect it to be like this at all. I didn't expect United to win the league. I just thought it would be miles, miles better than this. And it's just week after week, we're having similar conversations all of the time. And we can pick out some of the positives, but there's so many negatives. And if we want to talk about individuals, Jaden Sancho's just, he's just done nothing since arriving. And I'm not going to get on his case because I think every player deserves a couple of seasons. But it's just really frustrating to, to be a Manchester United fan at the moment. And I hope there's a genuine upturn in form and performances, not just for 28 minutes against Crystal Palace at home or a good chunk of the Villa game. You know, United did all right. Yeah. But there's so many buts. Let's talk about the midfield then, Laurie. You've written a, a great piece that's up on The Athletic at the minute, analysing what went wrong in that area at Villa Park and also talking about some potential targets for that area in this January transfer window too. Don't talk about the transfer targets just yet. Let's tease people with that. What were <laughs> the issues in midfield for you, Laurie? Well, I do think we have to give credit to Ralph Rangnick for the way he set up the team in, originally. You know, it, it seemed like a tweet to me, 4-3-3, where you had... Matic is the sitter, really, and Fred and Bruno a bit deeper. You know, well, Fred that bit more worked, advanced than he yeah. usually is. I, I think it did, yeah, because I mean, I looked at the stats at half time and then at full time in terms of Bruno Fernandes winning the ball back. I, I kind of thought he's actually doing quite a lot of defensive work here, but in, in a way that then propelled the, the attacks, you know, so he'd win the ball back and it'd be right straight on the attack. It wasn't like he was having to, you know, clean up 18 yards from his own goal. It was, sort of, you know, more advanced than that. And yeah, he won the ball 18 times. Ta- sorry, he won the ball eight times. 
Um, Fred won the ball nine times. Um, you know, the two top you know uh, possession winners, I suppose, for United during the game. So that kind of kind of showed that actually they had a good degree of control or certainly an element of making it hard for Villa to get past them. Even the fact that we are now looking at how many times Manchester United have won possession, we're talking about possession winners. We never would have done that before. So even that in itself is maybe a sign that Villa Park was better, yeah? I think so, just because, just in general, I kind of thought that was a system that seemed to suit a lot of the players there on the pitch and you had all of them working hard. You know, I know that Mason Greenwood sometimes can be um, point, point the finger at for, for not tracking back. You know, we can debate whether actually his best position would then for be centre forward. And certainly for for Villa's um, equaliser, he perhaps could have you know dropped in a bit more on on Buendia to stop that pass out to him. But um, but Anthony Langer certainly you know put the put the graft in. Um, and Edison Cavani up top, you know, he he was all over the place in terms of pressing. Okay, maybe he could have held the ball up a bit better. But I think as a as a six, you know, out of defence, they were. They were working cohesively, um, and that's what we wanted to see. You know, really, that's that's where we're at with Manchester United, where you want players to kind of run around and look like they're trying hard and 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 with a, a cohesive attitude. Um, and then, obviously, as the game drifted on, Matic is thirty three. You know, his legs we know can't carry him. Perhaps a, a full game anymore, where it's it's high intensity. Um, but he was the one that stayed on. Now I, I do have some sympathy for Ralph Rennick in that look at his options on the bench, and, and I, I mean I got some pelters on Twitter for, for saying that Phil Jones was a, as an option as a, a holding midfielder. I think I've still got yeah, his efforts in the Bernabeu in my mind, perhaps um, all those years ago. <laughs> From how many years ago? <laughs> yes, except I accept that. I, accept I think that. he Although had a good game thing. for the under eights at Blackburn in central midfield as well, Larry. <laughs> Apparently the Real Madrid game is the one that Fergie goes to though. When he when Phil Jones gets brought up, he instantly remembers that that game where he wow. did a good job, you know, uh, screening the defense uh, away in the Champions League. But so yeah, so I kind of I have something that okay maybe there wasn't the option therefore to replace Matic directly. Um, but you know he, he talks about a back three or you know some other system change might have been a good idea just to to, to make. I know it might have seemed like the, you know it's sitting back, but two 0 with fifteen minutes to go. You know it's and I know it was quite a close thing between. Um, you know, United kind of scoring and then Villa getting one back. So, you know, there wasn't loads of time, but I do feel like that was something that could have could have changed the course of the game. But yeah, I think in general, Manchester United's midfield, it, it shows that, you know, the options just aren't really there. Yeah, and I think it's sort of the personality of Matic a little bit as well that, that United need at times, the calmness and the, the sort of yeah. level-headedness. And you, you can question sort of some of the physical attributes for Matic now, of course, he's an older player, but that sense of experience and, and control uh, in central midfield that people like Michael Carrick have brought Manchester United before. Uh, Andy, do you, do you think that is an area that United should be looking to improve on then in this January transfer window? Because we're we're over halfway through it now, aren't we? And there's no sign of anything. No, and I'm not sure there will be a sign of anything. As I understand it, Manchester United will only bring players in if any of their summer targets become available in January and more likely to see outgoings, that's not what a lot of fans want to hear. Love the idea of a transformative signing like the way Bruno Fernandes was when he came in. With Matic, I'd love to wind the clock back five years. I think he's a decent player. I think he's a really decent person as well. And when I was watching the end of that game, I was thinking... Should you be on the pitch at your age, your legs, you, you know, he's a good player, but good isn't good enough in that position. That's why, as Laurie says, and as Laurie wrote about, that's the area of concern for, for most 
from Manchester United fans. They're just not consistent enough. Andy said there that it's quiet, Laurie, still for United, but you sort of named a few names in your piece, didn't you? Can you bring us up to date on what United are looking at? Because you also wrote that Ralph Rangnick thinks that he needs strengthening there, which is, of course, far more important than any of our opinions. Well, this is the kind of conflict that you have, and Andy's absolutely right. You know, Manchester United, the idea is that if they've got a summer target that is available in January, they'll go for him. But I always feel that that's a bit too passive. You know, it sort of feels like United, as a policy, have January as like this kind of window that they don't really do business in, which obviously neglects the Bruno Fernandes um, signing, which was transformative. United weren't getting in the Champions League if they didn't sign Bruno Fernandes halfway through that season. I, I don't think there was any way they would do that. He was incredible. The impact that he had around the club, even forget on the pitch, everywhere in such a short space of time, you know, it shows it works. You go back to Ever and Vidic, yeah, maybe they didn't have the same sort of immediate impact, but someone like Louis Saha did. Um, going even further back, Andy Cole going even further back than that. It can work. There's no question about that. They're not all duds January signings. We could obviously point at a few ones that probably haven't worked out, but equally, I think it's just this idea that we don't, you know, United don't do signings in January. You know, is that really the starting point for how you're going to approach, you know, one of your two times per year to, to sign players? And I think Ralph Ranjit clearly, he, you know, is his interim manager it looks like he's going to be passing on the baton to somebody else in the summer. So how much do United go in with what he would like to have happen? How much um, force is he going to use in terms of what he thinks should happen? Clearly, he wants to make this period a success for him. So he, he might you know, want uh, reinforcements, which is what... So is it Haidara from RB Leipzig that's the top target then, Laurie, do you think? That's just one of the names that I have been told that he would advocate for you know I'm not saying that um, it's going to happen but I do think that he knows the player um, I think United know the player obviously as well he's 23 he's sort of good profile um, I guess there's perhaps questions about his stature and you know I think the ideal thing for United is to kind of get as Andy says a younger Matic you know who is a tall player and I think I wonder if that's why he stayed on at Villa Park you know for the clearing any corners or free kicks that came into the box late on um, but he was you know as we've talked about in the piece you know the two goals that Villa scored one he's, he gets passed around with a 1-2 with Coutinho the second one he, he doesn't quite react to um, Lindelof pressing high on, on Watkins and, and Jacob Ramsey has some space to run into now Fred is also culpable I would say for, for both in terms of him trying to attack the ball and win it but that's what Ralph Rannick had asked him to do and that's what provide, that's what provided United with the goal the second goal so um, I suppose there's different ways of looking at it but ultimately yeah I think they would like someone like that you know and so longer term we've, we spoke about Bellingham we spoke about Rice you know ad nauseum they're still on the list you know the reality of them coming in you know we don't know because it might cost a lot of money they might have other alternatives that they want to pursue United right now doesn't look like the most attractive um, option you know if, if you're a Champions League um, player yeah, of, of that kind of pedigree um, but yeah, Haidara is one that I'd, I'd heard that I think Ranić does like. But listen, whether or not you know he's away with Mali at the African Cup of Nations right now, whether or not you know United actually go and press the button now, um, I'm still sort of, you know uncertain of. Um, Dennis Zakaria um, is another one that I think people have mentioned. The information that I had was that in terms of like a club um, decision on him, I don't think they they feel that he's actually hit the heights that he he, ha- he hit before he had his injury in, in 2020. Um, so I, I'd kind of a pause on on getting too excited about that one yet. Okay, let's keep it on midfield. Let's talk about Bruno Fernandes because he's the subject of David Ornstein's column in The Athletic uh, on Monday morning. Um, Obviously, he scored the two goals at Villa Park, Andy. He looked brighter, Bruno. There's no question about that. 
David Ornstein says that contract talks have not stalled. I think they've been shelved was the, the word that he used. Uh, apparently he's turned down uh, an offer of a new deal in the autumn and they'll talk again at the end of this season. He wants parity with the highest earners at Manchester United, so the sort of Ronaldo De Gea bracket. And interestingly, he's nowhere near that because his wages at Sporting were really modest before he came to Manchester United. Uh, and I think his deal at Old Trafford reflects that. I guess he deserves parity, doesn't he? Considering what we were saying before, that the effect that he had when he first came in, maybe that's waned a little bit this season in terms of his performances not quite being there. But there's no question, he's one of United's best players, isn't he? I feel much stronger talking about this after the way he played at Villa rather than two weeks ago. There is because that. Because he had been pretty poor. He'd been, he was brilliant when he came in. And you said he, he made an immediate impact. That impact against Wolves when he first signed was literally within three minutes of the match starting. And I know it was a draw, but he was putting balls forward, which no other players had been doing. And it had been, as Laurie says, Do you remember sitting there and watching him doing it? Do you remember sitting there and watching him do it and going, what's this? (laughs) He's taking risks. He's creating stuff. I do. I remember it clearly. And and it was a a time when there was a lot of tension among United fans. There was talk of protest and it was nil-nil, but... He was the best player on the pitch. On Saturday, well, he started, he took United's 100th corner of, of the season, which has resulted in, let me just check, uh, no goals. <laughs> You're like Rangnick now, checking your notes at the side. <laughs> and, but then he did score, didn't he? Little word with Alex Tillis, and then bang, put it through the Argentinian's legs. So the Brazilian-Portuguese combination will uh, yeah, like that. That'll teach him for his uh, penalty antics, won't it? I thought, I thought he ran the show for the first half hour. He, he got a booking, but he was always trying the, the forward pass. He takes more risks with the passes than any of the other players. Sometimes they don't come off and he loses possession. He went down, he looked like he was hurt after that, that tackle from, I think it was Louise, on the back of his knee, but... Then he scored United's second, celebrating in front of the away end. On balance, he's popular. Uh, he's a very good player. He's not had a great season. He's been moany and whiny. I hope that he's got to the point where he's realised that wasn't putting him into a better place. I still have questions about his partnership on the pitch with Cristiano Ronaldo, but fundamentally, he's a very important player for Manchester United. I think another issue here is the spectre of players running down their contracts. I think it's becoming a much bigger issue for football. I think the the power is continues to shift towards the players. They're increasingly comfortable about running their contracts down, and that's an issue for for, for clubs. But as the point was made in in David Ornstein's uh, column, there's a long time um, before Bruno is out of contract at Manchester United. There's mm. a long, long time. Twenty twenty six, if you include the option. And from yeah. his perspective. Is it unreasonable for him to look at where the club is going to be going uh, towards the end of this season? Because at the moment, it's not looking in a great place. It's someone like him should be playing regular uh, Champions League football, but I don't think he'll be leaving. But all the players have looked at what happened with David De Gea, where, OK, I'll run my contract down, and then United just stump up a massive contract. And United have got the money to do that. And players know that, and their agents know that. And... Because United have got the money and United might be a little bit desperate because there's fan pressure, because things are not going as well as they should be doing. The team have stopped winning trophies. That all plays into a pot which helps the player. Just um, a little hat tip to Dan Sheldon, who um, contributed to the piece as well. Um, we were told that talks would resume towards the end of the season where basically 
United and Bruno Fernandes and his representatives have a clearer picture about what next campaign is going to look like. You know, it could be a variety of things, couldn't it? Um, he is someone clearly that wants to win trophies in his career. He left Sport in Lisbon and, and then they won the Portuguese title, which is, I think is a bit unfortunate, although it sounds like it was a, a pretty, pretty weird season when that happened. So whether or not there's a bit of an asterisk next to it, I don't know. But I think he that is his motivation. You can see that on the pitch where he, he does come across you know a little bit whiny sometimes, but equally, if he want, it shows his character, it shows his personality. And I think he spoke well actually after the game where he said, I'd give back these two goals if it meant we won the game. Um, which you know may be easy to say, but equally I think it, it looked quite genuine when he was saying it. So um, I think he's a you know certainly a, a good character to have around and, and a real um, benefit to Manchester United. Yeah, he clearly yeah there's some issues I suppose with exactly how he, he features and, and the risks that he does take and, and that yeah that that understanding with Cristiano Ronaldo is an interesting one. We've seen it for Portugal where it's not quite worked all the time. Um, but I mean, these contract talks really have been going on for a long time. You know, he signed in January 2020. United apparently first broached it in November that year um, because they realised that actually he'd come in on a, a pretty, like I say, like, as you say, in modest salary compared to what other players are earning. There's, there's probably about seven or eight players that are earning more than him at Manchester United, which is kind of crazy, really, when you look at his contribution to the team. Um, so I think it's fair enough that he would want, you know, a, a greater share of, of what's going around. Um, and but it's been a kind of you know slow burner, and as you say, United are pretty com- comfortable with it because 2025 with an option 2026, that's a, a good chunk of time to kind of get around the negotiating table and trying to agree something. But at the same time, as we've seen with Paul Pogba, with Jesse Lingard, you know, it can easily drift into a situation where you know they've got a year left on the contracts and or two even two years left on contracts now, kind of precipitates potentially a transfer away because you know clubs are looking at it thinking this is the last time we'll have to, to, to sell them for for what that we think is their fair transfer market value so yeah it is an interesting topic to kind of keep an eye on but I would expect that there's more you know communication between the two parties you know at the end of the season when everybody knows where they stand. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Okay, let's do something positive then before we bring the mood back down again. Since we're a rollercoaster this podcast, like the season so far, let's talk about Anthony Alanga because it was his first proper start, wasn't it, in the Premier League at Villa Park. And Andy, he, he looked pretty positive, actually. Certainly in that first half, he had a, he had a brilliant impact down that left-hand side. Yeah, he did. And it was great. Very, very positive. I think he, he'd started against Wolves at the end of last season, but 
that was at the end of last season. It wasn't really an important match. So for him to be chosen and to be chosen ahead of Jadon Sancho, I think was pretty significant. We've heard noises um, that Ralph Rangnick likes Anthony Erlanger. He's not the only one. At the start of last season, when he was coming through, I wrote about him. I interviewed him. He's a bright lad. He's a humble lad. He's an intelligent lad. I spoke to the people who were working with him all the time. I know that Gary Neville had described him and compared him as being like Thierry Henry after he shredded uh, Salford City. And I put that to Anthony. And he said Thierry Henry was my idol. And I tried to match his my game with his. He was quick. He could play anywhere across the front three. Striker, left wing, right. And that's how he wants to, to play his game as well. So he's progressing. It seems like there's always an exciting youngster coming through, but most of them actually don't make it and they don't establish themselves in Manchester United's first team. But Anthony's progress has been exactly how his coaches had hoped for at Old Trafford. I spoke to his 23s manager, Neil Wood, about him and he talked about what a hard worker he was, how desperate he was to improve, desperate for knowledge. He's always watching videos of the top players. He wants to learn from the top players. He's the first to do extra work after training. So if you're after positivity, mate, I hope this is enough because... I think Anthony Alanga is 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 a decent story. Uh, flying pre-season last year, doing really well this year. I spoke to Quinton Fortune about him as well. He was absolutely glowing about him. So good, 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 good. This is all the positivity this podcast needs. What's his backstory then, Andy? He's got sort of a, an unusual path in some ways. He, he's Swedish. He moved to a place called Boras near Gothenburg. And he was absolutely baffled when I told him that I'd been to Boras near Gothenburg to watch Manchester United play a pre-season friendly. Back in the days when Manchester United would play pre-season friendlies in places like Boras near Gothenburg (laughs) in front of 3,000 people against a team called Elfsborg when there was about six away fans there. But it actually happened. Anyway, Anthony's mother <laughs> decided she wanted a new a new life in England and, uh, and moved to England. He'd learned English in Sweden, so it wasn't a big deal for him to adapt when he moved to Manchester. He speaks fluent French. He obviously speaks Swedish. He wants to learn Spanish. He wants to learn Portuguese. So as I said at the start, he's a, he's a bright lad. He started out training with Hyde United. That's Hyde United, not Hyde FC, who Manchester City wanted him to, to become when they played games there. Came through Hattersley. Manchester City spotted him. And then United uh, moved in on him and got him. Well, hey, even more positivity. What do you, what do you make of him, uh, Laurie? Yeah, I've liked him for a bit. Just I don't know. I didn't know about you know the old Boras um, backstory, which is a great little anecdote. Obviously, you've been there, Andy. Um, you know, you've been absolutely everywhere. <laughs> There's nowhere he's, nowhere not, he's been not been to watch football, is it? Um, no. But yes, yeah, so I've, I've, I've looked at him for a fair bit since he's been in the 23s and you know the FA Youth Cup team before that, and and I, I kind of felt that he, he has got something about him. I wasn't sure whether he'd had enough, perhaps technical quality. I thought his athleticism and his 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 just sheer drive at players you know he, he could roast a, a, a fullback with his, his speed and, and get past them real determination about him I thought that was his main characteristic but actually I've seen a bit more from him you know in the, the Wolves cameo um, earlier this week and then certainly starting at Villa you know the way that he perhaps took his chances um, you know he, I know that he slightly slipped one just wide of the post at Villa Park and then tested Martinez with, with another shot but clearly got a strong left foot on him Um and, and it, the way that he sort of run, runs it, you know, I mean, Matty Cash, certainly, first half, didn't know, I think, what hit him. And I hope that that doesn't get sort of, 
taken out of his game because you, you see this a fair bit with younger players where they've got like kind of no fear about them and then they perhaps come up against an opposition that's pretty strong and confidence, I suppose, takes a little bit of a hit. Um, but I think that he's kind of got a pretty cool demeanour about him. Um, and yeah, he's, he signed a new long-term contract, hasn't he? And there was debate about whether he would go out on loan at any point, you know, perhaps last year. The, the injury, I think, put paid to that at the end of sort of last season. And he came back just in time for the for the Wolves game, which he scored in really good header um, last game of the season. Um, but even this season, it was sort of debate. Does he, does he go out? Does he, does he stay? And then even this month, you know, there's some suggestion that would he go out on loan? And I think probably that Villa Park performance has sort of shown, I don't think Ralph Rannick will want to lose him really for this second half of the season, just as a, a kind of live wire option um, off the bench. I know United have a, a lot of forward options, but I kind of I feel like he adds something a bit different. And, and certainly he subscribes to out of possession, pressing high. I mean, Solskjaer, didn't, he said you know, he's got so much energy about him, you could, you could tell him you know, to go and get the paper and, and he'd, he'd kind of do it with a sprint um, you know, down the local news agent. So he, he certainly has that positivity <laughs> about him that I think Rania can, can really tap into. Decent stock as well is from Anthony Alanga. His dad, Joseph, was in the squad for the 1998 World Cup for Cameroon. He didn't play in that tournament, but he did have a decent career in Europe, playing at Pauk in Greece, Bromby in Denmark, and also Malmo in Sweden. So... Certainly, where his dad's concerned, he's following in the family's footsteps as a footballer, and it'd be interesting to see what he can do for Manchester United. The impact on that left-hand side was interesting because uh, it's been a while since we've seen an Anthony impress on Manchester <laughs> United's left wing. Um, Laurie, you've started something here. Let, let's hear from Ralph Rangnick in the press conference being pressed on Anthony Martial. One fewer substitute than Aston Villa on the bench and two goalkeepers. Um, was there a particular reason for that? I know obviously you've had injuries in the team. For example, Anthony Martial, um, is it a case of him wanting a transfer out so he's not in the squad or is it an injury? Um, just if you could elaborate, please. Yes, uh, he didn't want to be in the squad. Uh, he would have been in the squad uh, normally, but he didn't want to. Uh, and that's the reason why he was not travelling with us yesterday. So that was Rangnick's response to your question, Laurie. Um, obviously, we've seen since Martial posting on Instagram to refute the claim of his boss. He said, I will never refuse to play a match for United. I've been here for seven years and I never disrespected and will never disrespect the club and the fans. Who's telling the truth? Well, there's different versions of the truth, aren't there? Um, I don't know. I would. I have sympathy with Ralph Rangnick here. I, I think where he's coming from has a lot of validity. Um, obviously, I don't know the exact conversations that have been taking place. You don't know what's gone on on the training ground, but we saw that um, Anthony Marshall was training on Thursday with the squad. Um, so something's happened in between that time and, and United um, go in. And, you know, Ranić already said that Marcus Rashford was injured, Cristiano Ronaldo was injured, and we both saw, we saw both of those guys training. So he's actually come out and said that he didn't want to be a part of the squad. That's a, a pretty major thing for a manager to say. So he's not, so is, he's not saying it? that... You know, on a whim, he's, 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 he, I feel like he must have known what he was going to say if, if the Martial question got brought up because to have a substitutes bench of two goalkeepers and one less sub than is allowed, you know, Villa had more substitutes than Manchester United, which is crazy considering what we've said about Manchester United's bloated squad, um, really speaks to the fact that something is not right there. And clearly Anthony Martial wants to leave Manchester United. His agent said that. He's had talks with Ralph Rangnick where he said that. So... Is that a part of where he's coming from? You can see that there's always sort of grey areas, I suppose, in I, did, I never refused to play, but a manager feeling like he didn't want to play. Look at the Carlos Tevez situation when you know he was on the bench and Mancini told him to go warm up 
and he didn't go and warm up and that was Mancini. He refused to come on for me and Tevez, well, no, I just refused to warm up again. You know, it's, it's sort of, where, where do you draw the exact truth? I still think that Ranić is absolutely justified in saying what he said um, because, you know, we heard and I've reported previously about Anthony Marshall over the summer when he was injured. United found it very difficult to get hold of him, to communicate with him uh, for a number of weeks. Then there's a, an idea that he reported back for pre-season training three days later than was planned. United say that Solskjaer gave him his, his blessing, but I feel like perhaps Solskjaer w- was at that point, okay, fine, this is how Anthony uh, Marshall um, you know, sort of does his work over the summer. You know, it's, it's difficult to pin down. You know, I'm kind of going to be relaxed on this situation, not make a big thing out of it. Clearly, Ralph Ranić has been in the building for five, six weeks and, and feels like he does need to make a, a big thing out of it because, you know, as I say, that for a manager to come out and say that about a player is, is pretty um, pretty serious. OK, that's another interesting situation then to keep an eye on at Manchester United. Uh, one last thing to mention to round off the chat about Villa Park, Andy, and that was a banner in the away end there saying broken and rotten from top to bottom. What do you think the fans' thinking was? There's been a number of banners at matches. There was a, a banner in Atalanta saying United was rotten at the core. There were banners in Villarreal um, which were been very critical of um, Greater Manchester Police in the way they arrested fans on the protest uh, against the Super League stroke stroke Glazers. And it is a sentiment which some Manchester United fans will absolutely agree with. They'll never accept the Glazers as owner owners of the club. And th- this is um, something we've seen. I remember in Gdansk, another banner came out in the, the United section against the Glazers. And it's been pretty consistent. It's not just been when Manchester United have been losing matches either, but clearly the the feeling, the strength of feeling against the owners of the club increases when things are not going well. Uh, it was a controversial takeover in 2005. It remains controversial now. Some fans just live with it and crack on. And other fans do things like take banners to places like Villarreal or to the upper tier of the away end at Villa Park on on Saturday. Um, We live in a free country with uh, democracy. People are entitled to to, to their opinions. Yeah, another story really that feeds into this, Laurie, uh, Phil Buckingham's done on The Athletic. It was actually last week. You may have already read this piece if you're listening to this podcast, but if you haven't, go and have a look at it. It is an interesting take, if not... Maybe a little depressing for Manchester United fans, but let's talk about it anyway. Uh, City's total income for the last financial year surpassed Manchester United for the first time. Now, we've gotten used to the idea of City being above United in the table uh, on the pitch, but off the pitch, this is a totally. This is another important shift, isn't it, Laurie? Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know, was it expected or not? Just because. Clearly, when you drill down into the numbers, the reason why City have surpassed Manchester United is because of success on the pitch. You know, it's the Champions League um, revenues that they've brought in for reaching the final. You know, obviously it would have been a bit higher if they'd won the thing, but the fact that they, you know, got to the final um, swelled their coffers, I suppose. Um, Also, United were hit hardest by the pandemic in terms of match day revenue. So, you know, they're missing out on like £110 million a year in terms of gate receipts, whereas Man City's is about half that. So they're, they're two sort of things that can switch, I suppose, next year and therefore United could go back ahead of Man City. Um, but the commercial side of City, you know, is now a, a dominant, you know, revenue stream for them. 
we can debate, I suppose, the merits of where they get their commercial sponsorships from. You know, clearly the um, ownership structure they have. Look at the Etihad. You look at um, the different um, companies that are associated, I suppose, with Abu Dhabi, and, and that's where you know City get their um, income from in that regard. Whereas United, it's more diverse than that. So I suppose there's you, you can once you go into the, the detail of it, it, it you can kind of pick holes a little bit in Man City overtaking Man United, but but nevertheless, it still is a, a warning shot that actually, in contrast to what Ed Woodward said to investors, you know, a few years ago, success on the pitch does affect your bottom line. City are growing. There's no two ways about it. When United and City were due to play a pre-season in Beijing in 2016, people from City were giving out free blue T-shirts because they didn't want to be humiliated by 90% United fans in that huge stadium in Beijing. Now, the blushes might have been saved because the the game was, was postponed. But we can smirk and laugh, and United fans absolutely do, and wind City up all day long, but City are growing. And inevitably, with success, they're going to grow more. People talk about their empty seats. Jim Beglin said empty had on Saturday to much amusement from United fans. But City are averaging over 50,000. That's unheard of in my lifetime. They've expanded the stadium. United should have expanded the stadium. City would like to expand it more. There's not quite the demand there. Laurie touched on match day revenue, which distorted the figures massively last season. I think United's revenue will be higher than Manchester City's next time the results come out. But look, if City keep on winning and win Champions League, there will be kids at formative ages all around the world who decide to support Manchester City. The world changes. It just does. There are Leeds fans who go back to when Leeds were successful in the 70s. I'm sure there are even Blackburn Rovers fans who, age nine, decided that they were champions and were going to support them. And it's weird. And I can remember being in Texas pre-season, United City, four or five, six years ago, and seeing this commotion. And it was the Manchester City Supporters Club I'm like, does this exist? They've got one in Texas. There's a bar full of blues. I'm like, whoa, what What on earth's happening here? Because you go around the world seeing United fans everywhere and they've been attracted to success and humans are attracted to success. And there are millions of Barcelona fans around the world now who were attracted to the brilliance of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona teams. Manchester United, when they were winning everything, attracted fans around the world. And you can say glory hunters, you can mock people all you like, but success attracts converts. And we're seeing it through through blinkered red eyes, but the more successful City are, the bigger their choke brand will grow and grow. Yeah, definitely an interesting moment in Manchester football. So go and have a look at that article by Phil that's on The Athletic at the minute. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. So let's just round off the podcast then by previewing Manchester United's trip to Brentford on Wednesday night. Now, we were all pretty excited about this fixture, weren't we, before Christmas? It was Manchester United's first ever trip, of course, to the new ground, but their first trip to Brentford in any competition at any ground since 1947. Uh, And obviously it was postponed because of the outbreak of covid at Manchester United. Now, since then, Brentford have played five times in the Premier League. They've lost four times. They've beaten Aston Villa. But in the last two games in particular, they conceded seven goals to Liverpool without Salah and Mane, of course, and Southampton, who never had Salah and Mane or anyone close to that. So, will Manchester United be feeling confident, Laurie, going there this time? They should do. Um, it's you know you get a, you're never quite sure what to expect from Manchester United, are you? I mean, I suppose it depends which players are back in terms of Cristiano Ronaldo, Marcus Rashford, um, how they've recuperated from you know that kind of pretty morale sapping um, end to the game at Villa Park. But I feel like certainly, as you say, you're looking at Brentford, thinking that they're they're not quite in as good a mode as they were when we first you know had this fixture. It's certainly, the goals conceded. I, I mean, I sort of thought they were quite a a solid outfit in terms of repelling chances, but that they've been breached quite a bit recently. So I think United should should go. They should see this as a, a, a game that they should win. Really, I know that they've had good games against Man City and Chelsea at home, even Liverpool, um, where they drew obviously three three. Um, so I suppose you've got that as a slight danger at the back of your mind. But the, the recent performances say to me that United needs to be going there and winning this game. Yeah, and did you think there'll, there'll be the same sense of excitement going there, considering they've played them in the League Cup in the seventies, but actually in the league, it's it's the 1940s, the last time Manchester United faced Brentford. I think the ground hoppers or anyone going to a new ground will be really excited because yeah. it's a decent stadium. I think the people who booked and travelled to Brentford in December who aren't able to go to the, the rearranged fixture will be a bit gutted about it. Manchester United need a convincing away performance. There hasn't been one in the league since Tottenham. That was at the end of October. It's a good time to be playing Brentford for the reasons you said at the start. They're out of form. Manchester United have got to turn up, not just play well for 28 or 70 minutes, but see a game out, control a game, get a decent win. The away end will be bouncing and it'll pick the mood, not not up, up off the floor because we're not, we're not that bad, but United <laughs> really need a decent win. Maybe one effect actually on the atmosphere going there on Wednesday, Laurie, is this report that's just been broken by the Athletics' Jay Harris 
exclusively that Brentford have tabled a six-month contract offer to Christian Eriksen for a player of that quality, no matter what, to potentially join Brentford. The fans will be incredibly upbeat about that, won't they? Yeah, and, and judging from what we've seen already at that stadium, the, the atmosphere's been good, right? It's only a they small... don't need much encouragement, do they? Yeah. No, you're right. But no, yeah, really, really interesting story from Jay Harris. We all saw what happened at, at the Euros and, and it'd be so uplifting if he could come back to football and, and play at a good level uh, before his, his career's out because I don't think anyone wants that to be his kind of final sort of scene in, in football. So let's see, six months original deal until the end of the season and then an, an option for a further year is what um, Jay's reporting so uh, really good story and let's see if it happens yeah just feeding into the form again Andy um, we were talking you know a moment ago about the fact that they've not been brilliant of late Brentford but actually at home looking at their sort of scores across the season um, obviously they beat Arsenal on the opening weekend which was a, a huge deal drawing 3 all with Liverpool as well but when they have been beaten they've still been tight matches 1-0 to Chelsea 1-0 to Manchester City. I think maybe I've been a little bit overconfident teeing it up, possibly. I'm regretting it now. Don't be overconfident with this Manchester United team. They're not good enough there to is be that. overconfident. <laughs> United have got to you've got to win this and got to win it in a, in a convincing manner. I was really impressed by Brentford when they came to Old Trafford uh, pre-season. I saw their preparation for that game because I was in the same hotel uh, with them. They were at St George's Park preparing for that. They just thought, this is a club that are really focused on football. Obviously, they've got the new ground. They're in a good place. They've doubled their average uh, attendances. They're a club that so many others try to emulate. They've done really well to get into the Premier League. I hope they get beat 4-0 this week against Manchester United. <laughs> Next question. Andy, didn't you break into their stadium? Listen, I, I, I know it's odd. I bumped into an ex-girlfriend about five years ago and she said to me, do you still, do you still take pictures of empty for division football grounds? <laughs> so it's been a long time thing then. Might do. <laughs> Might do. What are you on about? It takes it back to childhood. My dad was a footballer and I'd spend from the age of four, I'd travel around the north of England watching him at these grounds, and I just fell in love with it. I, I did, and I'd go to Hyde United or Northwich Victoria, and to me as a kid, they were like the Maracanaro or the San Siro, and in later life, I was lucky enough to go to these real cathedrals of football, for real, but I, 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 like, I like football culture. I, I love it how football brings communities together, not just at the Manchester United or the Liverpools or the huge clubs, but at the smaller clubs as well. I think it's really important to the the social fabric of society. Bit deep that, isn't it? Sorry. Very deep, but I liked it. Yeah, maybe we'll delve into that another day. Let's finish then on uh, something maybe a little lighter. Perhaps some of you are still replaying that Coutinho goal that we won't talk about now from 48 hours ago. Uh, to try and stop that, here's another tale about a familiar face from the Premier League's recent past making an immediate impact off the bench for his new team. Ciccaroni. Nani. The ball at the edge Nani again. Okereke! Okereke! Venezia equalise! Venezia 1, Empoli 1, assist by Nani, just entered the pitch and Okereke scored. Yeah, Laurie, nice to see you former Manchester United player, making an impact with his first kick for his new team. Not often you can say that, is it? No rarity, uh, real moment of joy, I suppose. He's got a little bit of companionship with Sergio Romero, who's over in Venezia as well. Although, did they even play together? Not sure. Um, probably not. Probably not. <laughs> uh, but no, he's always been a, a pretty popular player, uh, Nani, in my book anyway. You know, the, the way that he could strike a ball, left or right foot, you know, we've spoken before, haven't we, about um, the, the couple of seasons after Ronaldo left. I do think he, he assumed the mantle, but... Clearly, he wasn't going to be 
the kind of definitive player that Ronaldo was. And I think he perhaps suffered from that a little bit, being in his shadow, but clearly a player that's got so much ability still um, and gave United fans a lot of joy, I think. Yeah, a little bit of fun to end the podcast then. Andy, thank you very much. Laurie, thank you very much as well. Let's hope Manchester United can break into the Brentford defence and score maybe in that game. I don't know. Perhaps we'll be there to take a picture. Don't forget that 33% discount is still there. You can get a third off a subscription to The Athletic at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. And of course, The Athletic are recording daily transfer shows, bringing you exclusive news and insight to any deals that are made during this January transfer window. The only place you can hear these podcasts is on The Athletic app or by subscribing to The Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Start your free trial today. But for the minute, we'll say goodbye, enjoy the match at Brentford, and we'll see you on the next one. Take care. Bye-bye. The Athletic.